And I love the fact that we have the privilege to just gather and sing lyrics that aren't just words, but they're truth. And if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, please know that Cody, our worship pastor, is meticulous about the lyrics that he introduces into our church family. And so when you come and hear the songs, A, we hope you enjoy them, and B, you get to hear the story of Jesus. I mean, that song just so clearly lays out the story, the hope, and the love of Jesus. And it's just a privilege that we can come in and, and sing and even just learn about Jesus just by reading those words. And personally, I'm really glad to be back with you guys. Been out for two weeks. Two weeks ago, I was in Romania. Last week, I was sick. Trust me, I would much rather be here. Um, we, we worked with a local church in Chernobyl, Romania, and they tried to talk us into staying. I think I should have listened because I'm allergic to America or something. Like, I, I didn't get sick until we started coming back, and then I got sick. But I would have much rather been here with you guys than been where I was at last week. But it's really good to be here, and I consider it just a privilege to continue our series this morning called The Refining Word. And so throughout this series, as a church, we're reading through the book of 1 John, and the word refine means to purify or make more precise. So the premise of this series is pretty simple. It's that God wants to purify us and align us more precisely with his dreams, with his vision for our lives through his word. And that's why we're reading through the book of 1 John together. So we're reading one chapter per week. We're discussing it in our Sunday gatherings. We're discussing it in community groups that meet in homes throughout the week. And if you're a first-time guest, this morning we're in 1 John 3. You can just pick up with us right where we're at. If you want to go back and read chapters 1 and 2, that's great. You're welcome to do that, but we're just glad you're here, and we're glad that you can journey with us from this point forward. Now, before we dive into 1 John 3, it would benefit us greatly to slow down and introduce ourselves to the author. Now, last week, Todd Humbert did a really excellent job of discussing how 1 John is an eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. So if you're like me and you weren't here last week, here's really what that means. It means that the guy who wrote this letter, John, the author, he spent time with Jesus. He not only spent time with Jesus, he literally like touched Jesus. Like Austin's my friend, so it's not weird if I touch him and shake his hand. I don't think it's too weird. But like literally, John like touched Jesus, he smelled of him. He's married, he has to shower, so he bathed. That's good. That may not have always been good because we're talking about first century Palestine and they're walking around everywhere, but literally this guy smelled of Jesus. He would have sat down and just put his arm around Jesus and had conversations and just talked about life. Everything that we read about in the Bible, John experienced. He even drank after Jesus. I wonder if he got superpowers from that. I'm just curious. But I mean, he, he drank after him. Like, the, the disciples were like fighting over, I'm drinking after him. No, I got the next sip, you know. But this guy literally experienced everything that we read about. So if I'm going to tell you about the cross that we just sang about, I'm going to say things like, hey, I read this. Hey, Mel Gibson did an awesome movie called Passion of the Christ, and I watched it, and that's what Mel Gibson thinks, and we're just going to go with what Mel Gibson says on this or whatever. I can say things like that, but John, I feel like he would have just grabbed our face in his hands and said, I saw it. I saw it. I was there when Judas, his friend, betrayed him. I saw the guards shackle Jesus, and I saw them carry him off. I was there for the trial. I was around when Peter denied Jesus three times. And I was standing there watching him die, not reading about it. I was watching him die on the cross. And when he was on the cross, he spoke to me, to me. He spoke to me and he said, John, my mother, 
my mother, John, John, you take care of my mom. Jesus was literally being murdered on the cross, and he was letting himself be murdered, by the way. But as he was being murdered on the cross, he still cared about his mom, and he told me, spoke to me and told me to take care of her, and he died. And, and I thought it was over. But then I heard rumors that there was an empty tomb, and I literally ran there. I ran into the tomb, and I looked, and I didn't read about it. I looked, and with my own eyes, I saw it was empty, and then I met him. I met the resurrected Jesus. We had breakfast together on the beach, a breakfast that I will never forget. And I was an eyewitness. I was listening to him share his last words on earth as he said, disciple the nations, and he sent us out. I watched him ascend back into heaven, and then I saw the birth of the church. I saw a day where 3,000 people became Jesus followers in one day. I saw the rapid explosion, but also the violent persecution of the church, and most of my friends have been martyred because of the name of Jesus, and John would say that I myself have suffered much loss. I've been exiled. I've been beaten, and yet here's what he would say. It's worth it. For all the times that I got to spend with him, it's real and it's worth it. That's the guy who wrote 1 John. And if we had an opportunity to sit down and have a cup of coffee with him, whether or not you're a Jesus follower, would you not do it? I mean, even if you don't follow Jesus, to sit down and talk to a guy who was Jesus's best friend who lived through all of that, experienced all of that, I think we would all take that opportunity. And that's what it's like to read through the book of 1 John. You know, we think it's just a letter, but this is an eyewitness account from Jesus's best, for one of Jesus's best friends. And we may not be able to sit down and pour a cup of coffee and just talk to him, but we can read a few verses today like we're going to as if we were sitting across the table from him. Because John, this guy that experienced so much that literally lived with Jesus, he has a message and he has a challenge for us in the middle of this chapter. So would you take up that offer? Would we take up the offer to hear from Jesus's best friend and see what he has to tell us about what it means to follow Jesus? If you're willing to take up that offer, then let's open up our Bibles Let's click on our Bible apps to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to hear from Jesus's very, uh, I mean, one of Jesus's very best friends, and see what he has to say. Because when I think about the context of who John is, the chance to read this letter is an offer that I simply cannot refuse. So here's what verse 16 says, and we're just going to take it a piece at a time. We're actually just going to look at the first phrase to start off with. John wrote this, by this we know love. John is speaking of love in its essence. And what he's going to tell us is he's saying, hey, this is how we know what love is. He's going to start off in these verses and explain love to us. Now, according to movies and music, what is love? Anybody can just shout out some answers. Baby, don't hurt me. That's good. What else? What is love? That's awesome. I wasn't expecting that. That's really good. So what is love? You tell Katie that all the time. I did their wedding. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Um, so what else? What are some messages we get from music and movies about love? Yes, sex. That that is love. Very good. 
Love hurts. Good. Endless. Very good, Coach Freeman. Easy. Wow. That's it. See, we get these messages that things like you guys said and things like this idea that love is just romance, it's head over heels, it's this never-ending feeling of I'm sitting at work and I'm so just infatuated, I can't even like send an email because I'm just on this euphoria of cloud nine, right? You know? But for all the married people in the room, is love more than a feeling? Yes. Any married people in the room say that love's more than a feeling? Hopefully you figured it out. Any married people in the room, is love more than a feeling? Yes. Now, before you single people think, there go the miserable married people again, just talking about marriage. It's terrible. I just, it's more than a feeling, all this stuff. Look, this isn't bashing marriage, okay? It is a good thing that love is more than a feeling because feelings come and go. But John wants us to know, he starts out and he says, by this we know love. And he's saying love is so much more than a feeling True love leads to action, and true love demands sacrifice. And this is so much better and more fulfilling than just this fleeting feelings that everybody tells us about. So John is going to say true love demands sacrifice. He goes on in the verse, and he proves this point. By this we know love, that he, he's talking about Jesus, his best friend, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus surrendered his life for us because true love demands sacrifice. And so one of the themes throughout 1 John is really this idea that Jesus is our pattern, that we should look at what Jesus does and we should imitate him. And one of our core values as a church picks up on this idea. So I want to invite us to read this core value together. Ready, go. We pattern our lives after Jesus by weaving him into our every moment. So the pattern here that's established in 1 John 3.16 is that true love demands sacrifice. And we know that by looking at the cross. Now, if you've been in churches and in church gatherings and just around Jesus and Jesus people for a while, you may just roll your eyes at this point and be like, duh, the cross. I've heard this before for crying out loud, almost every song's about the cross. But we need to understand there may be some people in this room who don't fully understand what the cross is. And if that's you and you're in this room, you actually have an advantage on us that have heard it over and over again, because we can just become jaded and dismiss, oh, it's just the cross, Jesus died for everybody, whatever. But, but what we need to do is see the cross through the eyes of a guy who witnessed the cross. See the cross through the eyes of a guy who was spoken to by Jesus when Jesus was dying on the cross. Because here's what that guy has to say, that this is love, that Jesus surrendered, that he laid down his life for us. So the question is, who is us? Us is every single person in the past. It, it's every person on the planet today, and it's every person in the future. Now, to help us really grasp the immeasurable greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus, I just want to ask us a few questions. Number one, would you die for everyone in this room? Would you die for everyone in this room? Now, as men, especially, I'm going to pick on the men for a minute. Like, it's, it's easy for us to be macho and be like, ah, oh, duh, I'm a man. 
Take a bullet for any one of you. Die a hero. Just put me in the newspaper, you know, on the internet. I just want to be famous. You know, like it's, for men, it's easy for us just to kind of macho up and say that we die for everyone. But would you really die for everyone in the room? Here's what that means in my life. My wife, Whitney, is pregnant. So if I were to die for one of you, that means that my baby is going to grow up fatherless. Now, granted, my wife's beautiful. She'd remarry quickly. It'd be fine, okay? <laughs> she would have no issues. Someone else would raise our child. She, she would land on her feet. It would be no, no big deal at all. But I'm just saying, I want to be around for it. I don't want her to marry a different guy. And so I'm not sure if you're worth it. I'm just going to be authentic. I'm not sure if it's worth my baby growing up fatherless for me to take a bullet for you. Any parents in the room agree with that? You're looking around like, I'm not sure I'm going to die for you. Maybe you, maybe you, probably not you. You know, like we can just go around the room. <laughs> See, we won't even die for everybody in the room, and yet Jesus died for every person in history, every person on the planet today, and every person in the future. Take sacrifice to the next level. What about our military? If you've actually served or are currently serving in the military, would you just stand up for a moment? Do we have anybody? Can we just clap for... You guys can have a seat. We just want to say thank you because you take sacrifice to a new level. You, you, you put your life on the line for strangers, for people that you will never, ever meet because you risk your life for ideals, the ideal of freedom, the idea that we all deserve life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we have people that die in our military for a set of ideals. That's amazing. They put their life on the line for complete strangers. You guys take sacrifice to a level that most of us civilians will never understand. But then Jesus takes it up a whole nother notch. Because our military spends time fighting against people like ISIS and terrorists. And here's the truth about Jesus. He died for people in ISIS. He died for terrorists. The worst imaginable person in history. Jesus died for that person, so that he or she could have an opportunity to be forgiven and have a relationship with God. That's what the cross represents. And that's the point our minds just go, because we can't get it. But that's what this guy, John, who is an eyewitness to the cross, wants us to get. That's the level of sacrifice he's talking about when he says that Jesus laid down his life for us. And so the pattern is that true love demands sacrifice. So he goes on, and this is where it gets personal and really uncomfortable in the last part of verse 16. And John continues, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then he says this, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This word ought is a present tense of the verb in the original language, and it communicates regular surrender. Not a one-time event, but regular surrender. And so here's what, Jesus, what John is saying, that the pattern that Jesus lays out for us is that true love demands sacrifice, the type of sacrifice of Jesus dying for people in ISIS, and that's our pattern to follow. Look, I'm not even willing to die for everybody in the room. I fall so short of this pattern. But Jesus is saying if we want to imitate him, if we want to walk in his footsteps, if we want to be his follower, 
then this is the standard. And I don't know about you, but that is way overwhelming to me. I'm so far beyond, I don't even know if I've started that journey of really understanding that level of true love and sacrifice. And if I'm having coffee with John at this point, my coffee's not tasting so good. Because <laughs> I'm a little nervous and thinking, wow. Like, I don't even begin, I don't even deserve to have this conversation with you because I'm so unworthy. And yet the cross says that we have an opportunity to take steps towards this. The cross is an invitation for each of us, no matter where we're at in this journey, that we can begin to move towards this pattern, not by our ability, but by the strength of the one who endured the cross, but by the power, the immeasurable greatness of the power of Jesus who raised from the dead. That if we choose to give our lives to him and follow him, then we can begin to step into this pattern, not in our own strength, but by his. And we're never gonna get there. We're never gonna be fully there on earth. But one day when we die and we are with Jesus in heaven, then we will fully comprehend and be able to live out this love. But until then, through the power of the cross, we can begin to step towards it. And so to help us, practically step towards this pattern. Here's a question that I think all of us have to ask if we're going to follow Jesus. And here's the question. What sacrifices am I making for the mission of Jesus on and off this campus? What sacrifices am I making? See, stop there for a second. True love demands sacrifice, correct? We can't live this out without Jesus, but through the power of Jesus in us, we need to begin asking this question and begin asking him to give us the ability to answer it with action. What sacrifices am I making for the mission of Jesus on and off this campus? Now, if you're a guest, you may be wondering, what's the deal with on and off this campus? Well, our vision statement begins. Any regular help us with the first part of our vision statement? Anybody know what it starts with? We want to do something. Say it louder. Develop a, a public church. And how do we describe a public church? What do we do? We're trying to blur the lines between what happens on and off our campus. So if our vision is to develop a public church, then we have to apply this scripture both on and off our campus and ask the question, what sacrifices am I making for the mission of Jesus on and off this campus? So let's start with on this campus. If most Sunday mornings involve people serving you, and you doing nothing for others, are you following the pattern? If most Sunday mornings you come here and people serve you and you do nothing for others, are you really following the pattern that true love demands sacrifice? If you never arrive early, you never stay late, you never serve on a team, but you just come, soak it all up and leave, are you making any sacrifices for the mission of Jesus? And if you're not, are you really following his pattern? Now, just to clarify, some of you I've talked to, and you, you pour out your life off this campus. I mean, your life almost 24-7 is like mission and mission and mission and investing in people, and people are calling you all the time, and, and, and it's hard for you to have family time. And I've said to a few of you, or some of our leadership has said to you, hey, just come on Sundays and soak it up. You are pouring your whole life out every day off this campus. You just 
in every way exhibit what it means to be part of a public church. You just show up on Sundays. Others of you, I recognize that you may be in a season of healing where myself or other people in leadership have said, hey, don't worry about serving right now. Just heal. Just let this be a place of restoration. And when the time comes, you'll know it and you can serve. But that's like 1% of us. For the other 99%, if we are never making sacrifices on a Sunday morning, then are we really following the pattern of Jesus? And our motivation is looking at the cross and seeing the sacrifice that he has made and saying, okay, then I got to do something on this campus. And what about off campus? Are we making sacrifices for the mission of Jesus off campus? I think about Eric and Ashton Ennis. Eric sitting right here. Um, Eric is, and some other people, and his wife, they teach high school at Mint County High School. It's the summertime for them. They could just lay by the pool and drink sweet tea and just have a great summer all summer. And there's nothing wrong with doing that some. But at some point, we need to do something for the mission of Jesus. And Eric and his wife and several other people are giving up their week next week to plan and organize and run a camp in McMinn County for students there. They're seizing an opportunity. They're making sacrifices, sacrificing family time and money and energy so that way they can point these students to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Are you making sacrifices off this campus for the mission of Jesus? You know, and I really just have to be honest with you, I'm just not sure that if we look at the cross, that if we look at the pattern that true love demands sacrifice, I'm just not sure that working nine to five and coming home every single day of the week, every day of the month at five o'clock and having all our activities post five o'clock be about us. I'm just not sure if that's really the pattern of Jesus. I'm just not sure if coming home and watching TV or Netflix or hanging out or just doing things that are for me and for me and for me, if that's really following the pattern of Jesus who died on the cross for people that are terrorists. See, the cross demands us to make sacrifices. And so we've got to look at ourselves. And it could be something very simple. It could be as simple as coming home from a long day of work and getting off the couch and playing with your kids. But it's got to extend beyond that to then also getting your kids and your family out of the house to go serve and show your family that it's more than just about your family. Are we making sacrifices? What sacrifices are we making for the mission of Jesus on and off this campus? And why do we do it? Why? Because we are inspired by Jesus' incomprehensible sacrifice on the cross. And so we want to do whatever we can to point people to Jesus. And when they say, why are you sacrificing? You're crazy. It's because of Jesus. And we get to tell them that we're inspired by him and he is our pattern. And then we get to point people to the life change that he offers. So that's how John starts off. And then he keeps going. In verse 17, and what John's going to do in verse 17 is he's going to present a scenario, and then he's going to ask a question. Here's what he says. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Let's read that one more time. But if anyone has the world's goods, that would be possessions. So if anyone has some possessions and sees his brother in need, that idea is this, not that you look, but it's a prolonged look at a person in need, a brother or sister in need. So you're able to assess 
the situation and you recognize that you have something to offer them, yet close your heart against him or her. In other words, you look and say, ah, the cost is too great. I can help you. I've got something to offer. The cost is just too great. It says, if that is you, then you got to ask the question, does God's love really abide in you? See, here's the second question he's asking. If we refuse to give our resources to meet needs, does God's love dwell in us? If we refuse to give our resources to meet needs, does God's love dwell in us? And if we go back to our core value, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the second part of that core value, that we pattern our lives after Jesus. We make sacrifices by weaving him into what? Into our every moment. And to go, to go, back, to go back to our question, if we refuse to give our resources to people to meet needs, does God's love really dwell in us? Look, this is a huge question. Jesus followers, do we want people to look at us and question if we have the love of God? No, we want people to look at us and see the love of God in us. Well, if we want that to happen, then we've got to follow what John is saying and be willing to give away our resources to meet needs. And for the non-Jesus followers in the room, if you're in the room and you don't follow Jesus, you may be in the cheering section right now. Because you may be saying, hey, the reason I don't follow Jesus is that. Because there's a whole bunch of people that claim to follow Jesus, and they don't do jack squat for nobody besides themselves. So I'm not going to follow a Jesus that can't even compel them to help somebody in need. And if that's you, you may be cheering this John on at this point. But here's just the challenge for you. Would you also take a look at yourself, and would you think about the cross? And would you think maybe because of the cross, I actually want to follow Jesus myself. And I want to be the type of Jesus follower who sees, who assesses situation and sees needs and meets them because I've been changed for the cross. And so maybe that's where you're at today. That Yeah, you can cheer it on, but you can also say, Jesus, would you truly change me? See, this is an absolutely huge question for wherever we're at. And look, we can begin to give excuses, but we just want to narrow in, first of all, on this word resources. What are our resources? In the text, the word is this, the world's goods or possessions. To help us understand that, last July, our church actually read through the book, When Helping Hurts. It's about how, how to alleviate poverty without hurting the poor. And in this book, the, the authors of the book, they actually did a study. And what they did is they interviewed people that were in third world countries that were in what we would consider material poverty. And they asked them, they said, hey, what is poverty? And here's what they found. Poor people typically, people we consider poor, typically talk in terms of, I'm going to read from the author, shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, Social isolation and voicelessness. Do any of those have anything to do with money? No. But in the West, especially the U.S., we tend to talk about poverty in terms of food, money, clean water, medicine, and housing. So here's what these authors are presenting to us, that if we're going to look at this verse and we're going to talk about our resources and we're going to talk about needs, then it's not just about money. 
that really poverty always has a relational component. In this book, they talk about poverty, relational poverty in four areas. Your relationship with God, yourself, with others, and the rest of creation. And I know that's a lot, but just for today, here's the thing. When we read this verse, we have to think about more than just seeing somebody and giving them $10 so that they can eat lunch. Because poverty, meeting needs, always has a relational component. You know, John lived this out. When the early church was exploding, he and his friend Peter, they were walking through one day, and this guy asked to be healed, asked for some money, and they, or excuse me, he asked for some money, and they said, look, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. So they said, look, it's more than money, there's always a relational component, and they recognized that, sure, that guy needed some money, but even more than that, and even more than even just getting up and walking, he needed spiritual healing and a relationship with Jesus. So when we ask this question, and if we evaluate, refusing, if we refuse to give our resources to meet needs, does God's love dwell in us? We have to recognize that our resources are more than just our checkbook. So for us as a church, here's how we're addressing this. We really have two strategies. Strategy number one is we want to partner with nonprofits that focus on this idea of development. Focus on developing the entire person. In fact, we've partnered with Family Promise. Some of you, many of you in this room actually are able to serve with Family Promise. And the way that works is families stay at various church campuses until they are able to get sustainable housing. So family would stay with us one week and then they would stay with another church another week and they would rotate through. And here's what's awesome about Family Promise is there's development, there's long-term change. There's this verse being lived out where churches and this organization are uniting and they have goods and needs are being made. In fact, one of the ladies, Jamie, and her daughters who stayed with us, they've got a house now. I mean, come on, in the words of Sam Landris, like, come on, people. That's awesome. They got a house that's living out 1 John 3, 17. That's development. That's not just giving people a handout. That's coming alongside them in a way that brings true, lasting, sustainable change in their lives. The other way we do this is we have what we call development teams. Development teams are composed of a budget coach and a social networker. People that want, so if someone comes to us and they're saying, hey, we need some help financially. We're going to say, we want to give you more than money. We want to come alongside you in a relationship. And we want to help you learn how to manage money. And we want to help you get connected with resources and other nonprofits in our community. And we think that as we do this, then we will improve too. Because you're going to invest in our lives. Because we all get better through relationships. So look, here's what that does. Knowing our church's response, it removes the excuse. Because you may walk out of here today and you may be on the highway and see somebody that's asking for stuff and it's so easy for us just to say, man, they're just trying to scam me. They probably make more money than I do just standing there on the side of the road and we can just completely forget about 1 John three seventeen. But here's what we have done as a church is we've given you a tool that you can take a development brochure and you can invite that person to be part of a development team. And it's their choice if they want it or not. And look, just to clarify, that doesn't mean you like drive by and like roll down your window and throw it at them and say, hey, read this, hope you find our church. You know, it doesn't mean that. It means that you stop and talk to them and look to form a relationship and say, hey, you tell me where you'll be and I'll pick you up. And we'll have a meeting because we want to walk through life with you. That's, in my opinion, and I think John would agree, that's this verse lived out to its fullest. And then a really simple thing that 
I got convicted about personally because Whitney and I used to do this and we haven't done it. So we're going to go buy some stuff this week is just having a little kit of food and just some stuff that you can give people. You know, just, just really simple, non-perishable items that you can give people deodorant, toothbrush, cliff bars, whatever. Just a little kit so you got them in your car, you meet somebody, you can give them that, talk to them, try to get them connected with the development team. I mean, there's really no excuse for us to see needs, needs and not meet those needs. Because if we don't, then we have to ask the question. If we see needs and we don't meet them, we have to ask the question, does God's love really dwell in us? And you know, a great example of this, in my opinion, is there's a couple in our church that four years ago, before our church was even formed, they began to look at the city and God put the city on their hearts. And they didn't just look at material poverty, but they saw relational poverty and material poverty. And they saw that people just needed Jesus in the city and public church was born and we've been growing and God's been moving in powerful ways and he's been bringing more people from the city, people that live in the city and drive 30 minutes here every Sunday. But they look at their city and they say, man, God wants to do something there. There are great needs there and they can't just look at those needs and ignore them. And that's why we have an Athens serve team. We've got people that are looking at a city 30 minutes up the road and they're saying, look, the love of God is in us and the love of God compels us to not just drive away from our city every Sunday, but to try to start something fresh in our city so that way people can have all their needs met there by Jesus and by his church. And so that's why on July 16th, we're having an Athens informational meeting here Because you may be here and be sitting here saying, look, I live close to Athens. I live in Athens. I'm wanting to drive to, I'm willing to relocate, not not drive, but relocate to Athens. And if that's you, then you can live out this verse as well and be a part of meeting needs there. And you know, the key to really living this out and meeting needs, I, I think is planning. I think it's making a decision right now in this gathering To say, hey, I am going to begin to plan to meet needs when they come up. And just to take a simple area, it can be budgeting. You can say, I'm going to leave here today, and I'm going to begin to plan to tithe. I'm going to set aside a certain amount of money to go back into Jesus' local church. Because the reality is, if every single penny of our paycheck is spent on us, then are we really making any sacrifices for the mission of Jesus? And it's very likely that if every single penny is spent on us, that we are not seeing people's needs and meeting them, but we're seeing their needs and we're turning aside and saying the cost is too much. So it could be as simple as sitting down with your budget and saying, hey, I'm going to give a percentage, a certain amount to the church, and then I'm going to set aside more. You know, Tyler and Jennifer earlier talked about a whole lot of us in this room. We sponsor orphans through Shepherd's Heart in Kenya. It can be saying, hey, I'm going to set aside money, and when an opportunity comes up like that, I'm going to see the need, I'm going to assess the need, and I'm going to meet the need. And by doing that, I'm going to demonstrate the love of God to those around me. It's really practical. It's really practical what John's laying at us. I don't know about you, but at this point, this cup of coffee is getting a little uh, cold. If I'm with John, I'm like, dude, you are laying it on. But then I'm like, well, you're the best friend of Jesus. You watched him die on the cross. All right, John, what do you got? He's got one more thing for us that he wants to challenge us with. And it's verse 18, and he says, Little children, let us not love in words or talk, but in deed and in truth. If John was sitting across the table from us, he deserves to call us little children. 
I mean, this is an old man at this point that has lived through so much. And he's saying, look, I just want you to know we got to love in word, not in word and talk, but we got to love in deed and in truth. And so here's what the, the, the last question that I believe John would ask us if we were having a cup of coffee together. He would say this, do I love with words alone or with action? Do I love with words alone or with action? By show of hands, how many of you would say that you like to be told I love you? Raise your hand. You want somebody to tell you I love you? Okay. How many of you want to be shown I love you? Right? How many of you want both? Right? Isn't that the total package? Don't tell me. Don't just show me. Both. I want everything. I want you to tell me. I want you to show me. I sound kind of needy, don't I? But this is what I want, okay? This is what most of us want. We want to be told that we're loved. We want to be shown that we're loved. So here's the deal. It's easy for us when it comes to serving others. It's easy for us to get consumed with ourselves and only love by words. Most married people have been there. Most married people in the room have been at a place in your marriage where you kind of look up and you're like, wow, I say I love you a lot more than I show that I love you. And that's not a good place. And hopefully you're able to readjust and get to a place where you're speaking it and showing it. But for us, it's so easy for us to get into a place where we're consumed with ourselves and we're only loving by words. So we've got to ask the question, do I love with words alone or with action? And to finish today, we just want to evaluate Two groups that we as a church say that we love. And we want to ask the question with these two groups, am I loving with words alone or with action? The first group is we say all the time that we love the next generation. We talk about the fact that we love the next generation, that we consider it a privilege to invest in kids from birth all the way up to seniors in high school. And between now and the start of school, we have two huge opportunities planned to put this into action. Because we're a public church, we have one thing planned on our campus and one thing planned off our campus. The thing off our campus is called Kids Camp, or excuse me, on our campus is called Kids Camp. You can see the details on the screen. This is an opportunity for us to not just say, oh yeah, we love kids, we want kids to come, but for us to sign up, especially if we're off during the summer, and to say, hey, I will sacrifice for the mission of Jesus. I will see a need to love children and point them to Jesus, and I will not close my heart, but I will meet that need and show these children love, and I will love in word and in action. The second opportunity is off our campus. And if you work, this one's for you. We're going to be going to Stewart Elementary School for a back-to-school bash with Stewart on August 1st from 5.30 to 8 p.m. You don't even have to stay the whole time. Setup's at 5.30. The event begins at 6.30. But if you work, that's a Tuesday night. And you could say, hey, I'm going to come Tuesday after work, and I'm going to be a part of loving our kids in word and in action. But here's the thing about us. Serving is relational. So really, these events are awesome, but they're not the end goal. See, our goal is to have public church events on and off our campus, and then that to get kids to start coming every Sunday. Because then we can long-term relationally invest in them through Sprouts, which is our ministry for birth, kids' birth through kindergarten. Then we can long-term serve these kids and minister to them and teach them about Jesus and see a lot of them surrender their lives to Jesus and get baptized through Roots, which is for first through fifth grade. So here's what that means for us. If we're looking at the statement and we say as a church, we love the next generation, and if we're going to evaluate and say, do we love by words alone or with action, then we've got to have people signed up, willing to serve for at least a couple weeks a month. 
And you know, the thing is, I think sometimes stats help us a little bit. So I just want to share a little stats with us when we look at sprouts and roots and ask the question, I love in word alone or with action. Over the summer, we've averaged 29 kids in sprouts and 19 in roots. That means 17% of the people who come on a Sunday are kids. Is that not awesome? That's an incredible opportunity that we get to invest in the next generation. So are we loving them with words alone or with action? Well, in fact, we've actually had leaders, especially in sprouts, that have had to serve both gatherings multiple weeks in a row. See, our model is serve one, attend one. That they come down here for one and they serve up there for one. We've had leaders who've had to serve for multiple weeks in a row in both because we don't have enough people. Because honestly, we're saying, hey, we love our kids, but we're not necessarily putting all the action behind it. In Roots, we have just enough to get by. And so that means if somebody's out, if somebody has something come up, then it's a scramble to try to cover for our kids. We have an opportunity to invest in 29 kids and sprouts every week. It's 29 souls that can grow up hearing about Jesus from the youngest age possible, 19 kids in first through fifth grade, every week that we can tell about Jesus, some of whom we may get the privilege of leading to a relationship in Christ. But are we going to say we love them or are we going to love them with action? See, the numbers say this, that if a third of us, 0.3, if a third of us, 30%, would say, hey, I'll serve at least two weeks a month, sprouts and roots. For some of you, it's going to end up just being one week a month. That would be 83 of us, and we would be able to invest and relieve burden, and we would be able to truly say as a church, hey, we love the next generation, not just with our words, but with our action. You know, the final group that we say that we love a whole lot is we say, man, we love internationals. We love internationals. In fact, every Tuesday night for the whole summer, we're having an IFN picnic, 530. It's awesome. Every Tuesday night, we're having this IFN picnic. Because we want to love internationals. On Saturdays, we have Conversation Corner, a chance for them to practice English. But the question is, do we love them in words alone or with action? And that's a question that you've got to ask yourself. The question is, if you're off on Tuesday nights, have you come yet? And if not, why not? If we're going to be a church that says we love internationals, then we need to actually love internationals with our action. And it's so easy. You get to come, hang out, play games, eat. We all love to eat, don't we? I mean, for crying out loud, it's a free meal and you can just bring a little something. I mean, it's an awesome opportunity. It's so simple. And I understand that some of you work. I work on Tuesday nights every, there's two uh, Tuesday nights I'm off for the whole summer because of football. When I was in Romania and last week I was able to stop by and spend time with them. So I know that some of you guys work. But the question is, if you don't, will you come? And if you're not coming, then why not? Because John, a guy that saw the cross, he's challenging us. And if he was sitting across from it this morning, he was saying, don't be a church that loves in word alone, but be a church that loves in word and action. And so as we close today, the question is why? Just to return back to why. And the why is because we've seen the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So we're compelled, we are inspired to make sacrifices. Our life can't just be about us. We've gotta make sacrifices on and off this campus. We can't just see needs and walk away and ignore them. And we must love 
in word and action. And one final clarification for us. You know, we're all at different places in this journey. And if you're like me, when you hear a passage like this, I get overwhelmed because I can't meet all the needs. I get overwhelmed because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to do more and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this. Look, this wasn't written to an individual. It was written to a group called the church. And if we would all meet the needs that God lays on our heart, then it wouldn't be so stressful on a few of us. We can all share this burden together. That's the invitation that John, that Jesus is extending to us. And man, it's so rewarding to make sacrifices. And here's how that plays out. This past week, there's a guy that I invest in. And I've really tried to be intentional about investing in fewer people so I can invest deeper in them and meet more needs with them. And I knew how he was having a tough family time. And because I've been able to focus some by the power of Jesus, and Lord knows it's the power of Jesus. I'm terrible at focusing and saying no to things. That, that Jesus has given me that strength to focus a little bit. So when he was going through a tough family time, I was able to say, hey, let's get together. And I can't meet with everybody, but I can invest in him. And he makes me a better man, and I love my time with him. And what if we all did that? And I'm not saying that as look at me. I'm just saying that Jesus has given us all the ability to make sacrifices, to meet needs. And if we all did that, then we change the world. I think that's what John wants us to get. That the cross compels us to action. So the band's going to come up. And we're going to have an opportunity to take action. And what the band's actually going to do is they're just going to play softly for a few minutes. We're not even going to go to a song right away. We will in a minute. But I just want to encourage all of us to think about what action we need to take. And so I'm actually going to be out in the lobby. And if you're sitting here saying, hey, I want to be a part of Sprouts and Roots, count me in. There's one of the 83 that will serve with them. I'll be out with background checks. You can fill them out and we'll get you rolling right away and get that step started. If you're saying, hey, I want to be a part of kids camp, then on our app, you can sign up. Just get out your phone right now. Stop listening to me. Get out your phone and sign up on the app. We have a chance to take action. So use these few moments to reflect. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower and you're saying, look, what I've seen today is the cross and I want to be a Jesus follower. I want the forgiveness of the cross. I want the relationship with God that is offered through the cross. Then just tell Jesus that. And if you have questions about it, there'll be someone underneath the exit sign from the refuge room that would love to process that with you. But in these few moments, let's take action. Let's hear from John. Let's be a church that loves in word and action. Jesus, would you please speak to us clearly? It's tough to receive this. Tough challenge from you, written by your best friend. But Jesus, I pray that you would just speak to us clearly and show us what you want us to do. We love you, and I pray.